This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. Have you ever been going through some old pictures? Maybe pictures that you've had for 15, 20 years. Maybe they're pictures of your children. Maybe they're pictures of when you were young. And, and it's just amazing as you compare the way things are now with the way things were back then. Well, we have a way of changing, do we not? For example, I have a picture of my wife and myself when we were in college together. And you compare that with the way things are today. They're just not really any comparison. Same people, but we've changed. Today we want to talk about some things of no comparison. And I hope that you'll stay tuned today as we discuss that. Now we offer a free Bible correspondence course. And I want you to have this course. I would love to send it to you free of charge. And all you have to do is just to request it. Or I would mention that you can take it online. But if you'd like for us to mail it to you, let's pause long enough so you can learn how to receive it. We want to help you as much as possible in your search for a personal relationship with God. You can now easily access our free Bible correspondence course online at gettingtoknowyourbible.org. If there's any way we can help you grow closer to God, please email us at knowyourbible at golftel.com. Or call us anytime at 1-877-711-5214. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580. Or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214. I want to read today from the book of Isaiah. And we're going to be reading out of the 46th chapter of Isaiah. In the 46th chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah is comparing dead idols with the living God. Now against the background of that uh, scenario, I want to read to you verse number 5. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we should be like. You know, we are accustomed to making comparisons in life. You go to the grocery store and you compare prices. You compare contents versus the price and with different items. We were accustomed to making comparisons if you go to buy a house. Maybe you've got three houses under consideration. 
and you compare the pros and the cons of each one of those houses, will it be the best for your family? Is the price within your, within your budget? We make comparisons there. Suppose you go to buy an automobile. Well, if you have a very large family, you're going to compare uh, the usability of an automobile versus the size of your family. You're going to compare the, the uh, price of that automobile. You're going to compare gas mileage versus another automobile. We make comparisons along the way. We do the same when we buy clothes. We do the same when a church hires a preacher. Generally, uh, you'll have more than one person to come in to preach for you and and you'll make a comparison between this person and this person and, and how well did the congregation receive each one of them and how did they deliver their messages. You see, we make comparisons in almost everything that we do in life. We do that when we get married, don't we? When you select a spouse and but, but there's no place where comparisons are needed more than, than when it comes to our spiritual life. There are just some things that are just absolutely beyond comparison. For example, a grain of sand cannot be compared to a mountain because a mountain is way greater than a grain of sand. And a candle cannot be compared to the sun because they are beyond comparison. And a baby could not be compared to an athlete because they are beyond comparison. And this is also true in the spiritual realm. Let me mention some things to you today that I believe are of no comparison. There is no book like the Bible. The Bible is beyond comparison. There are many books, but the Bible is the book of books. An expert in the realm of publication said that the average book may live for a year on the public market. If it's a good book, it may live five years. If it's an extraordinary book, it may live much longer than that. But the Bible continues to live year after year, decade after decade, century after century. And the reason is it's beyond comparison so far as other books are concerned. That there's no way that you can compare the origin of the Bible with any other book. Well, how did the Bible originate? All Scripture is given, is given by inspiration of God. You see, the Bible is a given book. God gave us this book. And not only did God give us this book, it was given by inspiration. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, Peter said that holy men of God spake as they were moved, by the Holy Spirit. And so the Bible is a book that has been inspired by the Holy Spirit. And in John 16 and verse 13, Jesus said, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, 
He shall guide you into all truth. And so all truth was revealed to men who were inspired to write the Bible. There's just no way to compare the Bible with other books so far as its origin is concerned. Then think about the way the Bible has been preserved through the years. Oh, there are lots of books that, that no longer are used by men. And some books don't even exist any longer because they have not been preserved. I have in my collection of books some that are quite old. Books that some look to be first edition books and, and date back into the 1800s. But you see, those books do not compare at all with any of the other books that I might have and because no one uses those books anymore. They're somewhat out of date today. But there's no book that can compare with the Bible so far as the way the Bible has been preserved. You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 35, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. And in 2 Peter 1, 25, Peter said, The word of the Lord endures forever. You see, the Bible has been preserved down through the years. Now, there have been those in days gone by, and even today for that matter, who, who have tried to destroy the Bible and eliminate it from society. There are those that would uh, enjoy and find great delight in eliminating the Bible from society even today. But let me tell you something. That will never happen. Someone says, how do you know? Because the Lord has promised that His Word will endure forever. It cannot be destroyed. There have been those that have tried to burn copies of the Bible and destroy it in that way. But the Bible continues to live year after year. And it continues to be the bestseller. You know, I've often thought the reason people try to destroy the Bible is because the Bible exposes them for what they really are. It, it exposes their sins. And so, in order to feel better about themselves, why don't we just get rid of that book called the Bible? Think about the effect the Bible has on pe people. That There is no other book that compares with the Bible so far as its effect is concerned. Well, what effect does it have? Well, it has a converting effect. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul, Psalms chapter 19 and verse number 7 tells us. So it has a converting effect. It has a cleansing effect on our lives. In John chapter 15 and 3, Jesus said, Now you're clean through my word which I have spoken unto you. I remember when I was a student in college, there was a young man who claimed to be an unbeliever. But he came under the influence of the Word of God, and he became a Christian. Later he told me the Word just worked on me. It just worked on me. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, the Bible says, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder the soul and spirit of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Someone says, well, what does that mean? It just means that you study the Bible, 
that the Bible not only can convert people to Jesus, it can teach them the way of salvation. It makes them uncomfortable in their sins. It makes them uncomfortable in their sins. But then here's the positive side. The Bible is God's power to save the world. Listen to the Apostle Paul in Romans 1.16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You see, the gospel is, is the power of God to save mankind. There's no other book that can compare with the Bible. There are lots of books today. And I, I enjoy going to a bookstore and browsing and looking at all of the books that are there that are available. But, but when it comes down to it, you just give me the Bible. Because the Bible is God's book, and it's beyond comparison. There's just no book to compare with it. You think about the effect that the preaching of the gospel had in Acts chapter 24. And Paul is talking to a man about his soul. And he reasoned with him concerning righteousness and temperance and the judgment to come. And the Bible tells us that Felix trembled. He trembled when he heard the gospel preached because he knew that he was not prepared to meet God one day in the judgment. Oh, there's no book like the Bible. Uh, George Washington, the first president of our nation, recognized the power of God's Word. And he emphasized the importance of the Word of God in governing a nation of people. Our nation was founded upon the principles that are taught in the Bible. Other nations of the world have been influenced by the principles taught in the Bible. But the United States was founded upon the principles of God's Word. And it was Washington who said, It is impossible impossible to rightly govern the people without God and the Bible. And I could only wish that his sentiment would permeate throughout the world today that it's impossible to rule the world, to govern the people without God and without the Word of God. It is a book beyond comparison. No book like the Bible but there's also no institution like the New Testament church. No organization like the New Testament church. Oh, there are all kinds of organizations today. All kinds of religious organizations today. And every time you turn around, there's a new one that's beginning. When I began preaching, we could say there are 250, maybe 300 different churches, different kinds of churches. But I've seen estimates that today there may be some 25,000. I don't know about the validity of that figure. But I know that the, the number increases all along. I remember driving through a state once and up on the hillside I saw a sign advertising the, the uh, group that met there and it said, The Church of What's Happening. I thought, what an unusual title for a church. The Church of What's Happening. I, 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 you see, there's no church like the Bible's church, the one that's described in the Bible, because it cannot compare with the Lord's church. 
There's no way that any other organization can compare with the age of the New Testament church. How old is it? How old is it? There are some churches that are quite young, but it, they do not compare with the age of the church we read in, uh, about in the New Testament. It began on the day of Pentecost, recorded in the second chapter of Acts, about A.D. 33. And, and it began in the city of Jerusalem, as had been predicted by Isaiah the prophet, back in Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. It shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains, shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, Come, let us go up unto the, the house of the Lord, to the, to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us of His ways. We'll walk in His paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. It was predicted by Isaiah that the gospel would begin in the city of Jerusalem, that the Lord's house would begin in Jerusalem. And it began in Jerusalem and, and this recorded for us in the Bible in the second chapter of Acts. Any church that's younger than that is too young. And any church that's older than that is too old. There's just none that can compare with the New Testament church so far as its age is concerned. What about the organization of the church? How is the church organized? Paul summarized the organization of the New Testament church in the first chapter of, of Philippians, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, to the saints which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. And so there were bishops or elders or pastors or, or presbyters or overseers or shepherds. All of those terms refer to the same office. And there was a plurality of them in the church at Philippi. He was writing to the elders of the church in Philippi. In the 20th chapter of Acts, he called the elders of the church of Ephesus. And he made a farewell address to the elders of, of the Ephesian church. You see, in the New Testament, the church was overseen by men referred to as elders or pastors. Not one pastor, but a plurality of pastors or presbyters or shepherds or overseers. All of those are terms that refer to the same office. Perhaps the term that best describes the work they should do is that of being a shepherd watching God's sheep. In first chapter, first Peter chapter five, in verse one, Peter said, the elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Listen to what he tells them to do. Feed the flock of God, which is among you taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, not willingly, nor, but, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage. See, those who serve as elders in the church are not dictators. They're not lords, they're shepherds. They're shepherds. They're under shepherds of Jesus Christ. And so the organization of the New Testament church was rather simple, 
You had men who met the qualifications found in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and there the qualifications are listed for one that would serve as an elder or a pastor in the church. And one of the reasons that we do not have women serving in that capacity is that an elder must be, have to be the husband of one wife. It'd be a little difficult for a woman to meet that qualification. And so there's no church that can, no organization that can compare with the New Testament church so far as the organization is concerned. But what about the way that it worships? There's no organization that can compare with the New Testament church in its worship. Well, how does it worship? Well, Jesus explained that for us very clearly in John chapter 4 and verse 24. God is a spirit. And they that worship him, they that worship him, worship whom? Worship God, must worship him. This is something that's not optional. We must worship him. How? In spirit and in truth. We worship God in spirit and in truth. And if we worship Him in truth, and if truth is His Word, John 17, 17, doesn't it just stands to reason that we worship the way that He has told us to worship? That simply means that I, I do not have the right to introduce anything into the worship that would be contrary to what Jesus has said we must do. If you visit the Church of Christ this next Lord's Day, you will find the worship of the New Testament church is quite simple. Trying to follow the way that early Christians did it in the first century, there will be the observance of the Lord's Supper every Sunday. Early Christians did that upon the first day of the week. We're told in Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, when the disciples came together to break bread, they came together for that purpose. I have often said that the Lord's Supper is the catalyst of a worship service. That is, we come together for the purpose of worshiping God on the first day of the week, and to gather around the Lord's table to commemorate the death of Jesus Christ upon the cross. In Luke 22, 19, Jesus said, This do in remembrance of me. And so we, we worship by observing the Lord's Supper. We sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody in our heart unto the Lord. Ephesians 5, 19 and Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. And we sing and we make melody in the heart. Someone says you don't use instruments in the worship and churches of Christ. Yes, we do. And the instrument is specified in Ephesians chapter 5, and it is the heart of man. We are to pluck the cords of the heart in our worship to God, singing making melody in our heart unto the Lord. That's the only thing we've been authorized to do, and thus we do. Now, also, we have the teaching of the Bible on the Lord's Day. There's prayers that are offered, and there is the 
the giving of our means to the Lord upon the first day of the week, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. You see, there's no other organization that can compare with the church we read about in the New Testament. There's none that can compare with the terms of entrance into that organization. In John chapter 10 and verse 9, Jesus explains how one enters into the kingdom of God or the church. Jesus said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and shall find pasture. Jesus is the door and we must enter that door into the kingdom of God. That's a reason in John chapter 3 and 5, Jesus said, and, and also in verse 7, you must be born again, born of water and born of the Spirit to enter into the kingdom of God. And so, my friend, you must enter into that door into the New Testament church. And there's no organization that can compare with its mission. The mission of the church is not entertainment. I think it's entertaining to be a Christian. I've often said to audiences, I'm not here to entertain you, but I find it entertaining to preach, and I do. It's, it's something I enjoy doing. Well, we're, we're not in the business of being a social force in the community, although that we will have a, an effect upon the community where we live. What is the mission of the church? The mission of the church is to save the souls of men to go into all of the world with the gospel, to preach the gospel to every creature upon the face of the earth. And I believe that every person has a right to hear the gospel at least one time before they die. And I want to do everything within my power to preach the gospel to as many people as possible before I leave this world. May God help us. May God help us to have a greater appreciation for the New Testament church, the mission of it. I want to ask you a question. Where are you today? Have you entered in through that door into Jesus Christ? You know, if a man is in Christ, he's a new creature, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If a man is in Christ, he has salvation, 2 Timothy 2, 10. If a man is in Christ, he has access to all spiritual blessings, Ephesians 1, 3. So are you in Christ? Is that where you are today? I would urge you to take Jesus at his word when he said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. Would you enter that door today by believing on Christ, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith in Christ, by being baptized into Christ, Galatians 3, 26 and 27. I want to thank you for watching today. May I encourage you to visit the Church of Christ in your community. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you is my prayer. We want to help you as much as possible in your search for a personal relationship with God. You can now easily access our free Bible correspondence course online at gettingtoknowyourbible.org. If there's any way we can help you grow closer to God, please email us at knowyourbible at golftel.com or call us anytime at 1-877-711-5214.
Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama 36580, or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bible.